0: open up our hearts to you that you may work in our inmost being and bring about transformation we pray for every mind that will wander, for various reasons, sometimes for good reasons real reasons of worry and pain and sufferings and all kinds of things and therefore when it comes to listening to your word Satan comes like a bird to pick up the seed of your word. And the worries of life come like thorns to choke everything. Oh, Father, we pray and beg you that prepare our hearts. You are the vine dresser. And so prepare our hearts that we may receive the implanted word and be changed. We want to change. We want to be like Jesus. That's what you called us for. And so right now we ask that God, the Holy Spirit will fall on us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning again. Now I hope uh, you have your Bibles and you have, uh, if you have, whether it's electronic or it's um, prints, please have your Bibles and open them, look at God's word, as God's word is preached to you. I know that they do projects passages, but please look into God's word yourself, and where possible, have have your jota, as we used to say when we (laughs) went to school, put down something that will help you to meditate on God's word. It is actually a sign that we approach the preaching of God's word with expectation. Hopefully, from the front here, they are seeking to be faithful in opening up God's word under the power of the Spirit to us. And so let's come with that kind of expectation. Today, God will speak to us in our singing. God will speak to us um, um, ultimately in the word as it is opened up to us. There is no hope of any transformation apart from God's word. There is no seven points to anything except what God has given us. And that is why God gave us his word. That is why the Holy Spirit did all the Holy Spirit will do to give us this word that has been passed down and in God's wisdom and providence and mercy has been translated into various languages for us. So my brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, if your heart is longing for the spectacular, there is no real spectacular apart from the Word of God. And every other spectacular ought to be understood in the light of God's Word. Your safety is in God's Word. Let it dwell in you richly. All that is to say that when we come together like this, one of the points of excitement should be that we hope the preacher is preaching under God and faithfully opening up God's word to us. But one of the exciting things is we come and God is going to speak to us in various ways, but ultimately in the word preached to us. So, all said and done, a teen came to you one Sunday after church, and then she asked you something and discussed something with you A brother approached you on phone and wanted to tell you something, discuss something with you. A mom who is struggling called you to tell you something. And you were fortunate that your own child, especially for those of you who have teens, your own teen was prepared to come to you To talk to you about something. And this is what they wanted to talk to you about. I am struggling with a particular sin nobody knows about. There's something going on in my life that I'm struggling with. It's been there since, and now I feel I need to deal with it. So, my question is this How can I overcome my sin? how can I overcome? And then they explain it to you. What are you going to tell the team? What really are you going to put before the brother or the mom who for some reason maybe out of resentment is growing a particular pattern of sin? Or someone who by God's grace has detected that greed is taking over their hearts. And they say that I have done, you know how the, the conversation goes, I have done everything that I can. I have done everything that I can. In fact, uh, talking with someone somewhere, some other time says, I have even done dry fasting and prayer. And the thing, and this parting never seems to go away. Now, <clears throat> Paul says something that is very interesting in, 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 um, Colossians. Before we come to our passage, he says this in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 21 to verse 23. He says this. If anybody puts before you these approaches to dealing with sin in our hearts that manifest itself in our behavior. Verse 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teaching. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. With their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What he's saying is that these things, these Rules that sometimes human beings, sometimes they mean well. In their attempt to curtail certain behavior, they sort of pile up, do not touch, do not do this, do not do that. You have to do A, B, and C. In all their good intention, they have an appearance of wisdom. And in fact, sometimes they appear to be helping, but the problem with these things is that they don't deal with the hearts. They don't deal with the indulgence of the flesh. They don't go to the root of the matter. So before you know it, that same sin seems to have stopped. But it just, um, for those of you who do science, metamorphosis. I did biology. This is the moment to show off. It just changes into something else. It doesn't really deal with the heart. So what deals with the heart? So what do you do? What do you do in the face of struggles with all kinds of sin? I want to believe that before we delve into what do you do, that every one of you here, and that includes the preacher, every one of you here is someone who is hungry to overcome certain sins, certain rebellion in our heart against God. Certain things. And I hope that I'm talking to two groups of people. One is I'm talking to Christians who love God and want to honor him and please him as father. And I'm talking to non-Christians or churchgoers who are totally confused about what it means to be a Christian. Please listen to me as we go through. What do you do in order to overcome sin in our lives? To become more like Jesus is what we're talking about. What do you do to increasingly grow until one day when he appears in glory? We appear with him and share in that glory. The first one Paul says in the passage is this. If you want to deal with your sin and overcome it with time, set your mind on who you are in Christ. That's the first thing. Set your mind on who you are in Christ. It is what others have called gospel identity. Get it right. That is, that is always the starting, the continuing, the finishing point. Every other thing is within. So verse 1 to verse 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on, um, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For why? Why should you do that? For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then he said this thing that is staggering. That is amazing. Verse 4. When Christ who gives you life. You see why I ask you that you look at the text. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that deliberately. When Christ who gives you life appears. Like a gift to you. He says when Christ who is your life. That's who you are. When Christ, you are hidden with Christ in God, in the divine life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He's saying this. Let me repeat, if I may. Since, that word since, because... You have been raised with Christ, verse 1. Because you have been raised with him. What what is this whole thing about raised with him? When you are baptized and you come out out of the water. It is new life. Since you have died, how did you die? You died by faith with Jesus in his death for our sin. And therefore you have been raised with Christ. New life, verse 3. You died. You died. What do you mean by I died? Well, it is the very same thing that Galatians 2.20 talks about, isn't it? I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the the, the life I now live in the body, this life as a Christian, I live by faith in the Son of God, Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. So you died, verse 3, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Think about who the Christian is. Just dream who who, who the Christian is. The Christian is a person who has died and her life now is life with Jesus hidden in God. He is in God. The divine life covers her. She is in the divine life. Verse 4, Christ is your life. This is not your own life to just live it anyhow. Christ is your life. And verse 5 is even amazing. He's saying that your destiny is to appear with Christ in glory. Which means that presently what is happening as we become more and more like Jesus, we are catching glimpses of Christ's glory in our lives. Until when he appears and sin is finally decisively killed, In our lives, then we are like him. When we see him, we will be like him. That is our hope. Since this is who you are, Paul says, if you're a Christian. Since this is who you are, set your mind. Set your mind. What does he mean by set your mind? It means meditate on it, let your mind be fixed on it. It is like seeing a very beautiful picture and constantly gazing at it, meditating on it, thinking about it. It is really like um, um, loving a particular song and. Fixing your mind on it and singing it and singing it and singing it and singing it it until you know every line and what is coming and every beat. And the music begins to, like um, some um, some sort of liquid or acid, it begins to get into your system and begins to form you. Set your mind. Set your mind on heavenly things. Now, you might think that he's talking as though don't be bothered by life here on earth. That's not what he's talking about. you see in a moment. Set your mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Now, what are these things? What are these heavenly things and earthly things? Set your mind on them. Think about them. Think about them. We'll come to what they are, but just understand that We have been invited by the Holy Spirit as God's children to set our minds. All the battles of our sin takes place in our minds. The battleground of the Christian life. Our minds, our hearts. The, the center of our being, the place where we, we're taking decisions and we, we we are putting things together and we are deciding whether we should uh, forgive my husband or not to forgive my wife or to treat this way or handle money that way. All these things, the thing there are things before us that we have set our minds on, set our hearts on, and they actually inform our behavior. And he's saying that set your mind, set your mind on Things above, where Christ is seated, and you with him seated, not on things that are here on earth. So bear in mind, that's the first one. Second, number two, how do we overcome sin? He says, do not entertain sin, kill it. The language Paul uses in verse five, let's say it, verse nine, is strong. Put to death, he says, verse 5. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Verse 8. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And do not pretend with each other. Do not lie to each other. Do not put up a show with each other. Since you have taken off the old self, that's what the old self does. It's always living in pretense with its practices. And so come back to the language he's using put to death. Sin ought to be put to death. Sin shouldn't be put to sleep. Sin has to be killed. If you put sin to sleep, it will wake up again. And it will be refreshed. And it will do havoc. The gospel means that sin ought to be put to death. So how do you actually put sin to death? He says, look at what Paul does in these verses. This is how you put sin to death. This is at least part of how, what you do to put sin to death. Name sin for what it is. You see what Paul does? He comes here and he says that put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And this will not be vague. I'm going to name them. I'm going to be so specific about sin. And then he talks about the two aspects of sin. Sin that plagues us. One is the hidden or what you can call the private sin. It's not private. No sin is private for the Christian. Everything affects the other believers, whether directly or indirectly. But he says that there are the sins that seem private that you deal with. What are they? Sexual immorality, unless it really comes out. And it's not just going to sleep with someone. It's all kinds of immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. And evil desires, don't just think about sex the love of money is part. And greed, ah, he follows with that, uh, which is idolatry, which is an object of worship. So greed is not just people who always want money to spend. That, that actually can be greed. But greed is also those who always want to keep money in the name of wisdom. Well, the motive has to be examined, isn't it? God will examine the motive. And he says that he names them, these sins. And then he comes to the public sin, the communal, the things that affect us together. All of them affect us together. But he's talking about those that nobody sees and those that are so visible. And he goes, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. And then the big one, do not lie to each other. This is not like, did you do it, I didn't do it kind of lie. This is bigger than that. This is pretending to be what you are not kind of lie in the Christian fellowship so that people should have a certain perception of you. Meanwhile, that is not the case. Why would you try to change clothes every year and stress yourself or every week or every month when you know you don't have that means, well, because we're going to church and people will talk about used the same, who cares? It's actually sin. Because you look at me, today I've changed my shoe, nobody commented, I'm a bit um, <laughs> worried. But because my dear brother Steve gave it to me. And so if we're going to look at that and now pretend and try to match up and all that, you will be sinning against God and all his goodness. You take your eyes off it. And so he said that if you're going to overcome your sin, name it. Name it. Sin grows. Sin, it grows when we excuse it. And when we justify it. And when we rationalize it. If you are dealing with anger, in humility, say that you are proudly angry. You're proud and you're angry. And anger is taking over. And you're driven by humility. But not only that. He's not just talking about... Naming the particular sin, he said, Let me remind you that sin is serious. Sin, particularly sin amongst God's people, in the world in general, is serious. And he tells them in verse 6, He says, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You are rescued people. How then do you live as if you are preparing yourself for the wrath of God that is to come? And indeed, in case you want to know how serious sin is, remember the cross. Remember Jesus on the cross. Why do you think Jesus went to the cross? It was because of the seriousness of sin. Sin cost God. And it cost God so dearly. His only begotten Son, who knew no sin but became sin for us, all these things and more poured on him. Our nature he took upon himself. Except our behavior. Yet he carried it too on the cross. And God, the holy God, poured out his wrath. Wrath is like, think of it. Sin is like a boiling anger which is in the pot. Uh, sorry, wrath. Which is ready to be poured out. Hot. Ready to be poured. Except this one is holy and justified. That is why Jesus ascended the cross, my brothers and sisters. Sin is that serious. It is the most serious thing before God. Rebellion against him. If it wasn't the most serious thing, Christ wouldn't have ascended the cross. Sin demands judgment. It demands death. And that is the very thing we have been rescued from. How then do we live as though... That thing has been done as though we are preparing ourselves for the wrath to come. It was wrath that was poured in the past. It is wrath that will be poured in the future. Against sin upon sin. Paul says, name it and know that these things aren't child's play. They are serious. And you are reminded of the cross where our sin was carried by Christo, by jesus so how do you actually overcome your sin hopefully you are tracking where we're going with this the third thing is this it is not it is all these things that i've talked about but it's also this you replace the old lifestyle with that of the new nature replace it now i'm going to explain in a minute Replace it in a minute. Or put it in another way. Replace what is earthly with what is heavenly. He has just named some of the things that are earthly. That, sorry, earthly, this way. Down. Earthly. He's talked about some of them. The behavior, the anger, the, all these things, the pretense. He says, replace them with that which is heavenly, where you are, by faith in Jesus Christ seated. Replace it with the heavenly. Well, how do you, What do you mean by replace it with the heavenly? Well, remind yourself again of who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ, and then live it out by the Spirit's help. Ah, oh, Is it going to be perfect? It's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be the direction of life. It's going to be the direction of life. And the way it is the direction of my life is through Sakra, Repentance and faith. Turning from as much as I know of myself and of my sin. And turning to as much as I know of God and the gospel and what he has done in Jesus. Turning constantly. And so you grow in holiness when you are constantly, you grow in this becoming like Christ when you are constantly becoming less and less of yourself. And then you become more and more of Jesus through repentance and turning to Jesus by faith. So know who you are and when you realize you are not living that out repent live it out so replace the earthly with the heavenly verse 12 therefore he says as god's chosen people holy and dearly loved <laughs> you see the way he's what is going before what he's going to tell them to do therefore as god's chosen people holy sanctified people And loved people by God. Clothe yourselves. Because of this, because you are like this, because this is what God is to you, clothe yourself with compassion. Replace lack of compassion with compassion. Replace malice. So, without the facts. I was talking to someone um, who was talking about someone. Who doesn't really know the person they were talking about and yet was speaking about the person as though they knew the person and they were speaking maliciously like they were saying something that was cruel. Oh. Said that if you didn't even know the person, then you begin to have a second thought about the person. Malice, slander. Oh, he says that replace that with kindness and, and compassion and Humility. When your attention is drawn to something, don't immediately defend yourself. Think about it. If it is not true, gentleness and patience. This is a replacement of earthly behavior with new nature in Christ's behavior. And so Paul will go along to list verse 12 to verse 15. And he's it's, it's just replacing the old nature. He says, guys, because of who you are in Christ and because the Spirit is available to you, replace it. Replace it. The Spirit will give you help. Where you are realizing that you are quick to be angry, why don't you ask God, the Holy Spirit, to help you to practice patience? Where the first thing that usually comes out of your mouth when you are talking about people is just to bring them down. Why don't you practice kindness with your word? Ask him for help. You put that into practice. You will grow in the behavior. You don't just grow in the behavior by sitting down and saying, I know who I am in Christ. Christ is this to me. You don't believe it. If faith believes it, faith puts it into action. Faith might fail a number of times, but faith never gives up because faith is constantly looking to Jesus. So put it into practice. If your kids are getting on your nerves, then ask the Holy Spirit, give me patience, and then practice patience. Why do you practice patience? Be slow to speak. Be slow to... Just... Calm down. Take a deep breath. Go away for a moment. You are putting your new nature into practice with the help of the Spirit. That's what you're doing. Let's talk about it. Compassion, kindness, humility. Verse 12 to verse 15, patience. Bearing with each other. Forgiving one another even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Gospel-shaped forgiveness. Oh, it's not always easy. But that is who we are. We have no choice. <laughs> I wish we had a choice. And where anybody has grievances, so when you have grievances, please don't stand somewhere and just talk about it. Walk to the person, Matthew 18. Or go find a humble way of addressing it. And then he talks about love. Love is the very nature of God. How do I even put it? And when you are in Christ, all these new nature behavior, they are held together by love. Not just a sentimental feeling, but rather, to put it simply, the determination to do good to your neighbor because of Christ, who loved you and gave himself for you. Exercise peace. And then he talks about thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a new nature behavior. Thanksgiving to God, but thanksgiving to each other. Do you know that saying thank you to a brother is not because they are seeking glory. Or a sister has a way of encouraging them to persevere in godliness. Yeah, it is true that in marriage, I mean, it is my, as it were, duty to do what I do. But can you imagine that your wife says, thank you for the little things your wife says, thank you for taking the dishes into the kitchen. Yeah, of course, you have to take the dishes. And then she says, thank you to you. Now you come and, for those of you who know, um, in, in the Ghanaian culture, there is something we call they say it's an aluminum bowl, big pots. So you take the plate to the kitchen. Your wife says, thank you. Well done. Now you come back and you are looking for the said to carry to the kitchen. You are so encouraged to do more. Isn't it, man? Yeah, bro. We just want a little bit of an encouragement. Thank you. Well done. This is good. We are not seeking God's glory. We are seeking to be encouraged. Because sometimes you're not sure as a father what, whether I'm getting it right or not. But nobody can encourage you as much as your wife. I didn't know you were suffering like that. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, let's try to finish. Somebody say you're always speaking for the wives. Today I've spoken for the men. <laughs> How do we, let's finish off, overcome sin? Paul finishes with, Two last things that are, brothers and sisters, amazing. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the fourth point. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He uses two interesting things. Dwell, dwell. This is where I dwell. This is my home. Let the word of Christ take residence. Let it take residence. And not only taking residence, let it dwell in you richly, plenty, overflowing. And this is very, very intentional because when it is dwelling there, when the river is there, and the river, like the Volta River, is overflowing, it will get into every area, including places that normally it wouldn't get to. That is why we have the flooding thing that everybody's trying to help in uh, the Volta Eastern region. When the the river of the word of Christ dwells in me, and then it is dwelling in plentifulness, it's overflowing, this is what is going to happen. Rivers are very interesting. When they overflow, when they are plenty, they will find their way around. You can bring rocks. They will still find their way around it and overflow it and get into the, the details of the village. In this case, it caused problem. But in this case... When the word of uh, Christ dwells in you richly, that is where it deals with your soul and begins to transform you. It means that the word of Christ will get into places and ask questions about our deepest motives for doing even the good things that we do. It means that it will ask questions about our deepest fears. Sometimes what we do is born out of fear, fear of losing something. Our idols, when the word of Christ dwells in you richly, praise the Lord, it will shed light on your pride. It will show that you are so proud a person, but not only that, it will give you hope. And that is why he didn't just say the word of God, that is intentional. It is the word of Christ. He's talking about the gospel, because when the, what the gospel does is that it shines light on your problem, and then it gives you hope and remedy and solution. The gospel always says, turn from and turn to. And so when Christ dwells in you, when his word, when you are looking at what God has accomplished in and through him for your sake, and what he has made us, and this word from Genesis to Revelation comes in. That is the essence of quiet time, by the way. That's why we have our quiet time. It is not a Christian thing to just tick. oh, I have my quiet time today, conscience clear, I can go on and do whatever. The reason we have our quiet time is that, and the reason we have it every day, and if possible, morning and evening, no rule on that, is that we want the word of Christ to dwell in us richly until it gets into every aspect of our being. When the gospel of Jesus dwells in you, it advances. It's not just something you believe and you have a ticket to heaven. It advances. The more you hear it, the more it produces fruit in your life. It advances. And Paul had already talked about it in Colossians. And so we come to God and we ask him, Let your word, the word of Christ, in scripture be poured out into me as I read it and meditate on it that the Holy Spirit will let it go and the Holy Spirit will let it interact that I may bear fruit in my life. It will show you the things that are earthly in you that are still persistent. You are a child of God for Christ's sake. And then it will show you the heavenly things of who you are and then it, the, God, the Holy Spirit, will give you the strength to now begin to practice them. But there is something really Interesting. It is this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's not just to you as an individual. What he's talking about is not just for, it's this for individuals, but not just for individuals. He's talking about it for us as a community. He's saying that the way you overcome sin, I'll show you in a minute, the way you overcome sin, is not just you in your, um, where monks will go and be. For a while. It's not just you as an individual in your monastery somewhere, and you know that those times are good and important. The way we overcome sin is also in community, together as a local church. We put to death the earthly things together as a community. Look at it. Verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Ha, as you teach and admonish one another, one another, with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart together. And so we teach it, we speak it to each other. During the snack time and we are chatting about various things, but we are looking for ways to apply God's word to various issues that we are facing We admonish one another. To admonish Mrs. Odonko is also to call each other to repent in the light of the word. When we admonish one another, we are calling each other to turn to Christ in the light of the word and leave earthly things behind. Unless, of course, the other person is hiding it. But even that the Holy Spirit exposes it. Unless your heart is so hardened that you won't repent. We apply God's word to each other. We apply it. That is wisdom for life. And then listen to something that he says, by the Spirit we sing to one another. When we come to church, the reason why singing is important and the reason why singing God's word, singing Christ-centeredly about Jesus and what he has done and what that means for us, the reason we sing that is that even in that, the Holy Spirit will use it and shape us. So we can't just sing anything in church. We just can't. We sing that which brings transformation to our souls. And then one last final point. This one surprised me. This surprised me. If you're not careful, you miss it. And it's for us as a whole, and it's for us as individuals. How do we really overcome? Look at the last part of verse 16. I call it verse 16c. He says, with thanksgiving in your hearts, with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Verse 17, the last part as well. What does he say? He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Why? Why? we want to overcome sin. We want to become like Jesus. What has thanksgiving got to do really with it? That you end that session with giving thanks, giving thanks. Why? For what? For who? You only will understand why Paul talks this way if you go back. If you go back into chapter 1. This is what he says in chapter 1. And then we will come to this chapter and then we'll finish. In chapter 1, he says, let me start from verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious mind. So that you may have great endurance and patience. Ah, look at verse 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father. For what? Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people? In the kingdom of light, for He has rescued us from the, domin- the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this is this is how we finish off. In all our attempt to grow in Christ's likeness, in all our attempt to overcome sin, Paul says you have got to first think about God. And give thanks to him. Why should you give thanks to him? Because thanksgiving will remind you of what God has done. That it began with him in the first place. It will continue with him. It will end with him. Why do we give thanks to him? Because at the end of the day, the strength has come from him. He initiated it. It is he who called us. He qualified us. It is He who, by His Spirit, brought us in to share in Christ. And then it is He, we didn't deliver ourselves. He delivered us from the domain of darkness, dominion of darkness, and brought us under the rule of Jesus the King. By His death and resurrection, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we have forgiveness, we are redeemed, we are loved. And so he says, give thanks to God because that is going to remind you and then in your attempt to do whatever thing, you will be looking to him because you know that it began with him. It has to continue and finish with him. And so though I work and I do all that I need to do, I turn constantly to him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you rescued me in the first place and redeemed me and forgave me and loved me I want to live this new nature that you have given me. I give you thanks that I can continually come to you for help. And so I come. That is what is going on here. Thanksgiving to God. Reminding ourselves of what he has done. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Let me pray. Take a moment and please... My dear friends, talk to the Lord. I really beg you that don't resist his word in your hearts. Just in humility. Whatever stood out for you, pray about it. Whatever you are confused about, pray about it. And ask God for clarity. But most importantly, ask him that you and I will be able to put to death what belongs to our earthly old nature and take on our heavenly new nature and live it out here on earth and persevere in that please take a moment and pray in Jesus name we pray amen